Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I don't know if this is going to get me canceled on the Guilty Feminist podcast and not because and not that you asked. You know who I also had like a really guilty crush on for the longest time? Please tell me. Bill Clinton. Oh, I can see that. I can see he that. He really shivered my timbers, like, before the veganism, after the veganism. Like, he is the nasty, dirty, corrupt yeah. one that you still love. Yeah. And it's a problem. And even in hindsight, like, even as we know what we know, I still am like, he's just, what is it about Bill Clinton? He has a sex appeal and a charisma that is untold. And sometimes he has misused that. But he, there's a reason he had all those women. He does definitely have a thing going on. I feel like he lies so well that I think that he actually believes it. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Which is true. intoxicating. He, you know he I mean? tells like, himself that story. Yeah. He, do you know when people meet Bill Clinton, they always say the same thing. I felt like I was the only person in the room. I felt I was the only person there. Like he just totally focuses on you. So I'm going to now look down the camera because I'm looking at you usually, but I'm going to look down the camera. This is what Bill Clinton does when he meets you. He's like... Jonathan, I've heard a lot about you, and I really love your show. I think you're that an incredible human being, right? Oh so I'm God. looking right at you, and he—that's what—that's what he does. No one else is there. It's just you and him. Everyone in the party fades away. Everyone on the receiving line fades away, and it's just you and him. And this is how he got so many, you know, just beautiful women into bed and young women into bed, and da 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 da. When he was—he just abused that ability. To mesmerize, which also was the thing that allowed him to be the president of the United States. I want to ask you this. Do you have any I'm a feminist buds, please, for me? Ooh, no, that one's too bad. <laughs> tell me and I'll tell you if it's if it's too bad or not. I'll, I won't let you put it in if it's too bad. I'm a, well, I wasn't saying, okay, so I'm a feminist, but I still have the hots for Bill Clinton and Mitt Romney. Oh, so my God. Yeah, oh, it's like even, it gets wow. worse. Gets worse. Uh, and then the other one was going to be like, I'm a feminist, but I didn't like the leotards with pants that the German Olympic women's team wore in 
the 2020 Olympics. Uh, did you write but into it's not <laughs> that I'm against pants and women and like women wearing pants and gymnastics. I think that's fierce to wear your tights. I just felt like the color choice with the blue backdrop of the Tokyo games, like the tights were like maroon and black. And so I couldn't see and like really like I'm not sexualizing like teen girls. And like, that's not why I like the no tights. I just like because you can see the lines. Mm. Like you can see like where their legs are. So maybe if you want to wear tights, do like white ones. So they'll like, you know, like pop out from the background. I think that's great. And I think as a gymnast yourself and obviously a gymnastics enthusiast, you are entitled to an opinion on that. And I'm sure you didn't at them when you had that opinion. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. But I just did at them by doing that. No, if, me. if, no, no, no. If you're listening, uh, gymnastics team, Jonathan Finesse thinks you're super fierce um, and has some thoughts about your costumes and you should have your costume person get in touch with JVN and JVN will no, help. You should you should get your costume person in touch with the designers at the Olympics and World Championships so you know what the background color is going to be of those like walls behind the mm -hmm, podium mm -hmm. so that you can like make sure that the judges can really see your lines so that you don't pick like blue tights with a blue background mm -hmm. so you don't like blend into the background. Is there a world in which if Bill Clinton and Mitt Romney were together backstage at the Olympics, the gymnastics is going on, you can hear it in the background, and there's just like a little private moment, a little private room, the door is locked, that you would consider the most guilty feminist worst three-way of your life? If when you went into that door, like they time traveled back like 20 years, but I didn't. Like if I stayed my age... But then they were, like, in their, like, 30s, 40s, like, 50s even. Like, 50s, actually, actually, maybe even just, like, 10 years ago, honestly. <laughs> actually, they could probably do it right now. Actually, I was going to say, like, I was going to say. They're I both mean, looking kind of right. No, they are. You're we'll, so right about we'll, that. We'll maybe dim if the they lights. just got on roids. Maybe if they just got on, like, steroids, <laughs> just, like, a little bit of, like, human growth hormone to just get the the pecs and the, you know, just get the, get the veins again going. No. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. No time travel, just human growth hormone. Yes. This I is... would 100%. And if my husband said, okay, you know, that would be, like, another conversation. But, <laughs> yeah, like, could I, like, just, like, literally just, like, because maybe when they came out, maybe Bill would be, like, hardcore, like, AOC-level progressive. And maybe I would have turned Mitt into, like, a centrist Democrat with my bussy. Wow. Uh, this is the greatest I'm a feminist butt of all time. It's official. There is no but better I don't think I'm I have a feminist a bussy butt. Because that's like, you know, gays say that that's like boy pussy. And I'm like, what is my ussy if I'm non-binary? My nussy? <laughs> like my non-binary? Yeah, like my nussy. My Your nussy. nussy. Nussy's them. cuter. I think nussy's it's, much it's, it's cuter. It's cuter than bussy too. Yeah, because I also feel like nussy is spelled N-U-S-S-I-E. Yes. I'm going to refer to mine as nussy because I don't like the word pussy. Can I steal nussy? Can I share it? Can we share Are a nussy? Are you non-binary? Like maybe you're like low-key. Is this how you realize that you're like a tiny bit non-binary because I mean, you have a nussy? But no, that's really what we call our butts because we don't have vaginas. I mean. Which is devastating. Uh, <laughs> like how much fun to like have like that. Like so interest. I can't imagine. I mean, every day I wake up and find my own vagina interesting. Um, of course, you Wait, don't. You take it for granted. That this fierce like comedian says, "Yeah, her name is Best Telling. She's a feminist. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, you I know Best Telling. She's genius. Best Telling. She has this joke where we were performing together, 
And she was saying like how gay men were complaining about like how hard it is to like prepare for anal sex. And then she was like, I don't know why they're complaining so much. Like, have you ever, like you all, like you can't, like you got to clean your vagina out too. And then like, because it was West Hollywood, like most everyone was gay, that like a bunch of the gays were like, ugh. And then she was like, no, you don't even, ew, like you've never even, like, let me explain. It's kind of like, have you ever like cleared out a pumpkin? Like, <gasps> and then like the crowd was like, <laughs> It was like the funniest thing. She literally compared it to clearing wow. out a pumpkin, and it makes me laugh like three times a week. Like that joke makes me laugh. <laughs> I know what you mean. You sort of remember it comes into your head, and you just that laugh joke on was in June transport. of 2018, and wow. I haven't stopped thinking about it. Okay, that was like four years ago. I mean, I think I'm going to adopt Nussie because I feel like it's more true to what my situation is. It just doesn't feel like a pussy. I feel pussy such an ugly say, word. Like, then you could call her Nuss for short. Yes, hey, I like it, Nussie. Okay, I have a Nussie. These are the best type of feminist butts anyone's ever done. And you've just like smashed it. <laughs> From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, JVN. It's Jonathan Van Ness. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Jonathan Van Ness, I, you are like a genuine uh, deity to the people who listen to The Guilty Feminist podcast. And I know this because we had our photo taken because I came to your hair event in London and people went ballistic. They were like, if the two of you could be in the same room, like, this is all I want in life. And they were so excited. So I'm so thrilled you've agreed to come on the podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm like so honored to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm very excited to be on it. Stop it. I can't even believe that that's true. That if, if, if Honey, we, as a podcast host myself, we got to like be out in the world supporting each other's work. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that. And can I say... You kindly gave me um, some beautiful hair products from the JVN range. I've been using the purple one, which nurture. you instructed me to nurture, and it's made such a difference. Like, can I just quickly show you this? This is not an ad. Everyone who's listening is going to be like, oh, God, Deborah's doing an ad. I'm not doing an ad. This is genuine. I just, I have, I've only met JVN once, and now I'm meeting you again. I, I want to show you what happened, the before and after. Give me the dish. What's okay, tell me? Tell I, me. I'm taking off my headphones here to show you. I uh, had my hair blow dried. Ah, uh, the like bobs looking five. amazing, everyone. Okay, I I used your I used your products. I had someone come to blow dry my hair at the house. I have to tell you this with my headphones on. I had someone come to my house to blow dry my hair uh, using your products five days ago for a thing. I had to do a show. Five days later, it still looks like it's just been blow dried. I'm going to show you. Look, it keeps. It keeps its shape now. It's weird. Like I just have to wash my hair so much less frequently. Do you know what I think it is? What? It's that gorgeous stuff, Hemi Squalane I was telling you about. But Hemi Squalane is so hydrating to the hair that it like, I feel like it nourishes the hair so much that when you set it or like, you know, when you style it, it's like actually hydrated. So it keeps that shape. Usually what makes our hair like fall out or like not fall out from the root, but like the style fall mm -hmm. out, you know, like lose the shape. It's because it's dry. So it just kind of like can't retain the products. Doesn't retain like, and even if you don't use products, just like can't retain the shape, but with, like hydrated hair, 
keeps its shape better. Mm. Uh, well, this must be it because I I am a dehydrated human being. Whatever I use on my face, I go to a facialist and every time they'll say, you're dehydrated. I know what they're going to say. I have accepted, I have accepted that I am going to die with dehydrated skin in a full inbox. It's- you need to get Omega Repair Cream by Biosense and then you won't be dehydrated. Mm-hmm. It will like quench your skin. And also, for the record... I'm obsessed with dry stuff. Like, I love, like, a dry scone. I love a dry biscuit. Like, I love, like, dehydration is fierce, as are you. So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Well, listen, I'm just telling you. Listen, there are advantages to dehydrated skin. And not to interrupt three times in a row, I have to just say, your skin's gorgeous. And so is your hair. You do not look, like, you are serving refreshed, hydrated, quenched, refreshed, stunning, already complimented your glasses off recording, but now I'll do it on the recording for safe measure. So Deb, you're slaying. Okay. It's all of that is going on my tombstone, like a quote with that. And then Jonathan, Vanessa, that's my full obituary. Now that's what I want. That's the, <laughs> you've just written the first paragraph of my obituary. It will be on my Wikipedia page by this afternoon. I'll put it there myself. Um, I'm so excited to meet you. And listen, I I do actually want to talk about hair because hair is everything, Anthony, to quote Fleabag. It it is actually. I'm a feminist, but I the line of Fleabag I related to most was hair is everything, Anthony. I'm gonna tell a story. Do you know Fleabag, right? Uh, duh. I mean, yes, of course, of course. Of course. Um, I just never want to make assumptions. You know, you're I know you're a very busy person. Um, I actually had a haircut like that. Before Phoebe wrote that scene, Phoebe and I, good friends, she did the first 12 minutes of Fleabag uh, because of a new writing night. I asked her to do it at a storytelling festival. And so I'm very, been along the, for the journey of Fleabag. So I had this haircut and I had to do a TED talk. And look, the TED talk, I slayed on the TED talk. There is no, TEDx it was, in Cambridge, Cambridge University, JVN. There was nothing wrong with the way I did it. I was slayed it. But the hair... I had a haircut and color the day before. It was a disaster. And I am a feminist, but I always caveat, like, go and watch the TEDx about this because it's about charisma on stage and blah, blah, blah. But please note that my hair should not look that way and I hate the way I look. And it's so terrible because, you know, like, I'm like, um, but Phoebe wrote me a long message because I was so upset about the haircut. And I put this whole thing on Facebook and she was still on Facebook then. And she said, People were writing, who cares about your hair? You're a woman. You go out and no man would say this, yada, yada, yada. And Phoebe wrote me this personalized message and she went, hair is, it means it's identity. And she said she had this terrible haircut, she thought, on the morning of just the day before she shot the first flea bag. So you know how flea bags got really short hair? That wasn't Phoebe's hair. And she was crying. She was devastated. And so I know that that hair is everything seen is about... I hope I'm allowed to say this. Um, I, I don't know if Phoebe's ever said it in the press, but it is about our feelings to our hair. And sometimes if someone cuts your hair or does your hair in the wrong way, it can feel make you feel robbed of your identity. And then extending that to, you know, the way that black women feel and have been made to feel or, um, you know, uh, men are made to feel about what their hair should look like. Uh, you know, it's real. Yeah, I think it's real what you do. Of I, course. You I know, I, I really real. Hello, guilty feminists of Australia and New Zealand. We are coming to you. And by we, I do mean Grace Petrie and I are getting on a plane. 
and we are flying 24 hours to see you. Uh, I am so excited about this because I haven't been to Australia for two and a half years and it's where I was born and raised. So I usually come back at least once or twice a year to see my family and all my guilty feminists massive. And this is going to be quite emotional for me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, if you're going to be at any of these shows, you're probably going to see tears as well as laughter. I just want to be with you whole uh, down under gang again. Like the shows, they're legendary. They always feel so powerful, so important, so joyful, so hilarious, so fraught with resistance, feminism and song. Um, I just can't wait. So I'm going to tell you where we're coming. On the 13th of July, we're going to be in Adelaide. On the 15th of July, we're going to be in Perth. On the 17th of July, we're going to be in Canberra. On the 18th of July, we're going to be in Canberra. But please bear in mind, the shows will be totally different with different guests. So you can come to both of those. 19th of July, we're going to be in Brisbane. 20th of July, we're going to be in Melbourne. 22nd of July, Christchurch. 23rd of July, Auckland. 24th of July, Wellington. 27th of July, Sydney. Confirmed guest co-host include Steph Tisdale in Brisbane. Celia Picola will be in Melbourne. Geraldine Hickey will be in Adelaide. And Cal Wilson will be everywhere else. That's Canberra. That's Perth. That's all the New Zealand dates. Uh, get your tickets now. We will also have Grace Petrie with us uh, singing up a storm and local feminists who we will be talking to and going in for the deep dive conversation. Do not miss it. I'm desperate to be with you. Please be there if you possibly can. Send people, bring everyone on your WhatsApp groups, introduce people to it that hasn't been there before. Let's have a kiki. Well, here is an extension of our body. Um, so and everyone has a body. Everyone has a relationship to their body and by extension, their hair. Even if you, you know, have alopecia, it's like then you have a relationship like to the absence of the hair, but it's like everyone has like a relationship to their hair as it relates to their body and as such, you know, their identity. So it's absolutely real. Um, I think what I take from your story though, um, word to the wise, it's like we don't, get haircuts and hair colors the day before filming <laughs> a major thing. <laughs> like that's what I take away from that as a hairdresser. And you know, at, for BB2, it's like, we are not going to get a fucking haircut the day before a big fucking job. Okay. We just aren't doing it because you don't, it's too many variables. You know what I'm saying? You need to have it done like a month before so that like you have time to process, you know what I'm saying? You need to do it like a month before. And then, <laughs> you know, if you got to do something else, like if you, you know, if you want to get like your roots done or whatever, like that's like not as much of a commitment as like, you know, like a highlighter, like a haircutter. It's like a, you know, like a thing. Honey, I'm sorry Aww. you went through that. You know, it kind of reminds me the first major photo shoot I ever did with like the boys. It was like this like people photo shoot for Queer Eye. And um, I went to go get like, my like I was like oh I want to get like my beard trimmed like I wanted to get like a little like detailing on my beard like I never done it and I was like I'm gonna do it it'll be fun but then like I got like the por the barber like just like shaved off the whole side of my hair like just like Oof. shaved like my hair like clear up like to my temples on both sides um and I was like because then also like I have like you know it just like I literally couldn't wear my hair back or like tucked behind my ears for like three months because it looked like skin, oh, you know, God. so it was just like, it was very, not my vibe. Um, so, you know, 
Case in point, again, we don't go to a new hair person like the day of a big shoot. We just can't. It's too I, risky. I hear that. I so thought you were going to say, word to the wise, however your hair looked on the day of the TED Talk is how it's meant to look, yada, no, yada, yada. No. And I love that you just mm -hmm. went, don't go the day before. Let it settle. Let it settle. It's got to settle. Let it settle. I mean, I'm settle. a hairdresser. If nothing else, I'm a hairdresser first, okay? Like, as a hairdresser, like, I always just go, like, to, like, that client relationship. And I'm like, queen, we're never going, like, the day before. It's, like, too much. Have you ever had someone in your chair cry because you cut their hair in a way that oh, yeah. they didn't mm -hmm. want? And then it's Do you want to hear a worse story? Yes, please. Do you want to hear a worse story? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I had this client who I love. She's so sweet. And she would grow her hair really long and then I would cut it like once a year for like locks of love or like beautiful links, like where you can like donate your hair, you know, like for them to make wigs for folks like going through cancer or like people that need wigs. So this, she comes in, it's a Saturday morning. It was a big Friday night. So I wasn't like feeling my best this Saturday morning. She was my first client. It was eight in the morning. And she had Ted said to me in the whole consultation, she was like, no matter what, I just don't want it above my collarbones. And her hair was like long, like mm -hmm. really long, like way all up on her torso, you know, like way down like here. You know what I'm Go saying? Ahead. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, okay, yeah, girl, I got it. It's fine. Like her name's Tina. So I was like, Tina's fine. Like you just look down. I got it. Cause I see, when you start, when you do the length, you like got to look down. So I put her hair in like these like four little ponytails, like two in the front, two in the back to cut. And I just started like thinking about the night before. I just, I just, I mean, for, I mean, straight up, I just like kind of forgot to like, I just like, it's like the thing you never want to hear a hairdresser say, but I just like did kind of accidentally stop paying attention about like where I was in space. Uh, and I accidentally just had her look down. And next thing I knew, I cut one of those ponytails off, like clear up to like oh. the very, very like, like on her hairline. So this is now gone from like, it's like now going to be like a bottom lip bob, not oh even God. like a chin bob. Oh God. Like it was, it was either going to be like a Kate <laughs> oh Gosselin, like kicked in the back of the head, like Ford, like, mm -hmm. you know, like a wet, like that old Victoria Beckham a, vibe. A, a 1920s, like really sharp. It was either going to be yeah. a straight forward, like that lady Mary, or it was going to be like Victoria Beckham, like short in the back, long in the front. And she said, when I cut that ponytail off, she was like, Jonathan, that is not a lob. Like that is not my collarbone. And I was like, Tina, I'm going to be honest with you. If you get really weird right now and like start to cry or freak out on me, it's going to be like a weird, ugly haircut. And it is too short. Like it is absolutely like shorter <laughs> than what you wanted. But I can still make this look amazing. And it'll be like an amazing haircut on you if you trust me and just calm down. But if you get, if you stay this height and I can feel your upsetness, like I'm just warning you, like it's going to get worse. And I just, I oh want us to get God. through this next, like I need us to like, get through this hour and a half together. Mm -hmm. And I also like, I know that it's going to be cute, but it is like fully 10 inches shorter than what we said. Apologies. My bad. Not charging you. <laughs> but let's just get through this together. Okay. And then she totally calmed down. And then, you know, it's funny. In the six years that I had done her, done this before with her, because so it was like once a year for like six years, never, not once did she ever come back to like maintain the haircut. It would just be like, cut it short, grow it out, cut it. She was so obsessed. I ended up going with the Lady Mary, not the mm. Victoria Beckham. So we, we kept it like lip length. That short bob was like so her truth for like a year and a half. Like wow. there was no donating. She was like, I love it. It's so good. And then after like a year, we grew it out. But well, it all ended well. Well, that's like Fleabag. That's such an iconic haircut for Fleabag. Like we can't imagine Fleabag with longer hair now, but I think it, it wasn't meant to be. And it, yet it was kind of meant to be. But that crying thing, I... 
I cried so much the day that they did it for the TED Talk and I asked them to leave the color and she said, I'm just gonna, I was sobbing and it's so awful for them because there's nothing they can do. But one time I was a friend of mine was, I came home and she's an African-American friend of mine and she got her hair cut at a place that said they knew how to do black hair and they didn't or Afro hair and they didn't. She, I didn't know what had happened when I came and she was staying in my apartment. When I walk, came in, JVN, can I tell you? Do I call you, do you prefer to be called JVN or Jonathan? Or you don't mind? Either, it's great. Okay. I always think of you as JVN. JVN, which I think is such a funky name. Um, so cool. I would call, uh, I, people call me DFW as well. So um, uh. I, I love it. JVN, uh, when I came home, she was staying with me. I thought her mother had died or something. She was crying. I didn't know what had happened. I couldn't get it out of her. She was sobbing like someone had died. I was like, oh my God. And she lives in America and she was here in London. I was like, how am I going to do this? And I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And finally she got out. Look what they've done to my hair. And I realized she'd had a haircut. And she's like, I was growing it out. And even if it was like a shortcut, but a cute shortcut. But it's a and apparently the manager came in and went, yeah, he's fucked it. <laughs> and she's grown it out. So terrible. But it's like, I've never seen anyone so distraught. I've only seen someone distraught like that if someone's died. And or, or they they just turns out their husbands left them for three other people or something like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because it's like hair and it's like one of the essays in my book is like, it's my love letter to hairdressing. And it's like everything that I learned in the salon. But I feel like an interesting thing about hair is that there's this duality to it that it's like hair is identity. It's like how you see yourself. It's like this confidence. But then also it's just hair and it does grow and we like take it way too seriously. So it's like, there's like both are true. Like it's, it's everything. And it's so not who we are. Like mm. it, I think about the India RE song, like I am not my hair. Mm. And it's like, it is. So there is this duality to it that it's like, it's, it's, it's this huge deal and it's not a big deal at the same time. Yeah. It's everything because ultimately you can change your perspective on something and yes, they can't do anything about it in the short term. And it is possible for us to like change our perspective and like find our confidence and like find our funk in or like, you know, find like the gorgeousness in the thing that you maybe didn't like or whatever. So it's just, it is such a fascinating topic. Um, I love hair so much. It's, it's the first form of art that I fell in love with. And it's the first medium that I considered myself an artist and like found that I am an artist. Um, oh, totally. So yeah, I just, I, I'll it, always love it. And that kind of leads me on to what you're doing with Queer Eye. Because I think the mechanism of the very first, and I want to also get to your, um, by the way, just to, so you know, I, I really do want to get to your new show, Getting Curious, because I think it's incredible. Um I think the OG Queer Eye, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which I remember really well, I feel that show kind of changed the world because I grew up in a homophobic beach town in a, a, a very homophobic state. When I left Australia, um, uh, where I grew up in Queensland, it was still illegal to be gay. Um, that was in the 90s. So, it, you know, it was... It, everybody I knew was homophobic. I didn't know any out gay people. I moved to Sydney and it was like two out of three in the eastern suburbs of Sydney were gay because all the gay people would go there to get away from the homophobic places where they felt unsafe. And they kind of created an army um, in Sydney of like, you know, you're going to fuck with us because, you know, it, that's how it felt in the 90s in Sydney for me anyway. Um, and uh, I, when I went back 
I remember watching TV with my mum years later. I went and and she said, and she said, um, uh, I was like, what are we going to watch in the evening flicking channel? She said, oh, can we watch Queer Eye? And I went, what? And she went, yeah, yeah, I love Carson. And oh. I was like, and he's obviously the, you know, the the campest of the the OG Queer Eye guys. And it was so strange to me because I was in a very strict religion. I was a Jehovah's Witness. And so it was so strange to hear her say this. She said, um, I love gay men. They make very good friends because you don't have to worry about anything. And I, it, she said it a bit like they make very good pets, to be fair. But I felt it was such a, it was a leap on, you know, it was like, an, and I was like, wow. And it was just that, it was that what that original queer I was doing was going, was pe- they were going into people's houses and going, I know you're a bit scared of us. I know this campness is a bit intimidating to you. I know you worry that it might be a bit predatory. We're going to show you that it's not. And it worked. It operated that original Queer Eye on a little bit of, it It didn't work unless the guy was a little bit on edge about it, a little bit like obviously open to it, but also, oh, I'm a bit awkward around gay men. And they would, by the end of that episode, have that man going, well, you're my best friends ever. There's nothing to fear here. There's only wonderful connection. It was incredible. So when they brought Queer Eye back, I didn't know how it was going to go. Because I thought, well, we won't accept, because that original Queer Eye and what it did, because of shows like Will and Grace, which some people may say perpetuate stereotypes, but it's in your living room every night. It wears people down. It's not, they're not scared anymore. They're, it's not so other anymore. So by the time we get to Queer Eye 2, your Queer Eye, something's shifted in our society. All of those shows, you know, Modern Family, they've shifted the dynamic. So now we don't want to see homophobic, you know, even mildly homophobic or uncomfortable, homo uncomfortability. We don't want to see it. So I thought, how's this going to work? And then you, I thought, I thought it wouldn't work probably. You, you shifted it. You, the narrative is different in Queer Eye. And in now it's so different. Can you explain what you're doing, what the mechanism is? Do you know what the magic is? Do you know what you're doing when you go in? Because it's so, it's if it's more beloved than the original, which is so hard to do. People love it. Well, I think that we we definitely had no way of knowing that it was going to be so beloved when we started. I think our goal is to always um center our heroes. Like the goal is really that we're there to help whoever we're helping. And I think that's what's been so unifying for us, like through the like 60 or like 50, whatever, however many episodes we've done. It's like, that's really always what our intention is. And I think that what we're allowed to do on the show is bring the fullness of who we are into those situations. And because I think Queer Eye is do this Queer Eye is doing a similar thing to what the first one did. It's just that like, we're at a slightly different place, but that doesn't mean that we're in, it is overall better. Like we have marriage equality since the first Queer Eye. Um, You know, we have had, you know, improvements in LGBTQIA plus representation since the first Queer Eye, you know, your will and graces and the, and and there hasn't like mildly improved representation. (sighs) But, um, but I think, we didn't know like how much we were going to like shift conversations or how much we were going to like, you know, touch people. Um, and we're, and that definitely like, wasn't our intention. I think we're being who we are and we're trying to help folks that were there helping and everything else has just been like, you know, kind of icing on the cake for all of us. When you go in 
how much do you really get to know that person? How much of it is TV and how much do you really fall in love with these people? Well, I think what you don't see is that like, obviously our episodes are like 45 minutes, but it takes us like 40 hours to shoot like one episode. We're shooting like, I mean, actually sometimes it's like even longer. Sometimes it's like 40 to like 60 that gets like whittled down to 45 minutes. So we all spend a lot more time with the hero than like what you're seeing on camera. I mean, depending on the makeover, there are times where I've spent like five, eight, nine hours like with our hero, like on my day, you know, I mean, that's like, but actually who says that? It's like way longer. Like sometimes I'm with them, like just so much on that day. And then also like on the discovery day and then like the final, like the day when we meet them and then the day when they come back and find their house, like we're just all with them, like all day, every day, like whenever it's like our turn for the field trip. So we do spend a lot of time and there is, I mean, that connection is really real. I think that obviously there's some episodes where like some one of us may connect with that hero more than others of us do. Um, And also like, obviously we're all still humans. Like there might be going on something going on in one of our lives, like that where maybe you're just like not as like energetic that week. And so like another one of us may like kind of step in a little bit more just because like we don't kind of what's going on with each other because we've worked together for so long at this point. But no, I mean, I think the the connection that you're seeing is organic. And, and there's, I mean, there's like so many heroes that I talk to all the time. I follow, I'm close with, like I follow their families. I know what's going on with them. Like, you know, they've, there's so oh, many you, of them. Have like You keep in touch with them? I mean, Angel from season six is like my trainer. Like I see her, like we go to gymnastics together, like two days a week. And she comes to my house and trains me here. Like Jerrica from season six, like I help her, um, like we do fundraisers together and we do stuff for um, Central Texas Allied Health Institute, which is, it's like C-T-A-I-D, which is, or no, C-T-A-H-I, Central Texas Allied Health Care Institute. Yes, honey. I'm always telling her it's like such a long acronym, but it's okay. Whatever. It's fine. We love that for her. So, and then like Mama Tammy from like season two, Deanna from season four, Jessica from season, um, from season three, Neil from season two, um, or no season one, Skylar from season two. Like there's lots of people who I just am very close with love so much, like just, you know, who are very much in my life. Um, so yeah, that's, that's like a really fun aspect of it. And yeah, I do think that what you see on the show is what you get. Um, but there is more because we're all together for like a lot in that week. Mm-hmm. And it's like a 45 minute TV show. It, it seems to me that the reboot, which is, it's not at Queer Eye for the straight guy anymore. It's Queer Eye for whoever you are. And so some of the people you're seeing are queer and, you know, they're, they're gender nonconforming or they're, you know, they're, they're somebody who just hasn't, it's almost it's it's almost like you're you're saying, hey, the original Queer Eye was here to, you know, to come in and introduce uh, who we are and dissipate fear. And this one is saying, hey, you know who we didn't nourish and nurture in the first one because we couldn't because we were doing this work. There are so many unseen people in our society who feel on the fringes, who feel on the margins, who feel have been made to feel not normal, and we're going to nourish and nurture those people in those communities as well. And and it and sometimes it's heartbreaking to watch undernourished people, underseen people, be seen, be clothed, be quaffed, be loved, be resourced, and it's just it's heartbreaking and beautiful and just glorious. And I love that you're doing that. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. So that was the first half 
Join us for part two, which should be in your feed right now.